Good morning. Hey, good to see everybody here today. We had to bring out some extra chairs. That's great. Um, we are uh, wrapping up this series. It's called Vanishing Virtues. And we've talked about honor, uh, who we're to honor, purity. Pastor Jeremy's had some great messages on patience, a tough one for me, integrity, a good one. And uh, today I just want to wrap up this series with, with <laughs> Vanishing Virtues, right? What, what I think is a virtue that is basically non-existent now. It's, it's, I think it's completely disappeared in our society. And I want to start off by giving you an example of, uh, this is probably a decade old, so it hadn't gotten any better. But there was a Boston consultant who was working with recent college graduates, uh, you know, before they enter the workforce. And he was telling them that, you know, people are, you know, have preconceived ideas about you when you come to, to work for the first day. And he says, actually, there's one word that is most commonly used to describe you, this generation, emerging generation, and the word starts with the letter E. And he asked them, these young, eager college graduates, can you guess, what do you think that word is that most people today think best describes you as you enter the workforce? And they said, energetic, excellent, exceptional. And he said, actually, the one word that most people use to describe you as you enter the workforce is entitled. As a matter of fact, the millennial generation is called the entitled generation. And it's true with Generation Z as they've come along. And now, before those of you who are my age and older say, ah, those young kids, rah, how did they get that way? Who taught them that? Yeah, we did, didn't we? And why do they feel so entitled? There's a lot of reasons, but just real quickly, just a couple at the top of my head. Uh, one reason is that people my age and older Worked too hard, and many, many, many ended up divorced. But they still, of course, loved their children. And so they made up for the lost time with their kids by just saying yes to everything and never saying no. Let me give you this. Let me give you that. I'm going to work harder so I can give you more. And so you have this whole generation that grew up thinking, hey, if I want it, I'm going to get it. And another reason, I think, is this whole overprotection idea. I'm going to, first one's kind of a joke, okay, but, okay, when I was a kid, I, me and all my friends used to ride around in the back of a pickup truck. Did anybody else do that? Am I the only one? No. Now you've got to be buckled in 43 different ways with straps wrapped everywhere but around your neck. You can't even ride a bicycle without wearing a helmet. What? You know how many times I fell off my bike, flew over the handlebars? I never hit my head on, whatever. Okay, keep your kids safe. That's not what I'm preaching on today. But let's take a, a, another step, though, protecting them emotionally. See, when I was a kid, you actually had to win something to get a ribbon. It's true. There was no, oh, Mark, you came in last place. We're so proud of you. You're so slow. Here's your ribbon. 
Nobody said that to me. I, if I didn't make the team, I didn't make the team. We're going to protect. We're going to protect. And so, again, we've got a whole generation now. And the next generation after them, this feeling of entitlement. I, I, I deserve this. I, I, I had this coming to me. It's the way it's supposed to be. Well, our gospel reading today, Jesus uh, ran into uh, 10 people who were desperate. And only one showed what I want to talk to you today. Not entitlement, uh, but the opposite of that. The vanishing virtue of gratitude. Gratitude. Where is that today? Well, Jesus, this is true. This actually happened. Jesus is walking to Jerusalem. He goes to a village. And there's ten men who have leprosy in this village. And they see Jesus coming, and they cry out to him. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, you really need to get the context here. Because leprosy was a horrible disease. It was more painful than you can imagine. If you've ever seen a picture, I'm not going to show you a picture. You don't have to close your eyes. But people had these oozing sores all over their body. But leprosy also affected the nerve endings. And so it was incredibly painful. Incredibly painful. But because of the dead nerve system breaking down, the oozing sores, people would actually fall asleep and in the middle of the night wake up and a rat had chewed off their pinky or something. This is very, very common. Very common. But forget the physical misery and pain. Emotionally, now we all know now, thanks to this pandemic, how bad isolation is for human beings. It's horrible, horrible for our mental health. Well, according to Leviticus 13, if you were a leper and you were walking down the street and someone was coming the other way, you had to cry out, unclean, unclean. So the other person would know to turn around or go to the other side of the street to stay far, far away from you. So it had been years since any of these men had had a hug. Anybody had, it's impossible to have any kind of relationship or contact or intimacy. Horrible disease. They've been praying to God this outlandish prayer to be healed. Wouldn't you? We would all be praying that. And so here comes Jesus, and it's rumored that this Jesus has been known to heal people. And so they cry out, oh, if he could only hear me, if he would only heal me, I could have my life back. And when Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priest. That was another thing from Leviticus. A leper was healed or recovered. They would go to the priest to verify that they were no longer a danger to society. Go to the priest. And as they went... They were cleansed. A miracle. I mean, this is the miracle of miracles. And then, after having this outlandish prayer answered, one of them, how many of them? One of them. When he saw he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him. One. 
And then Jesus said, we're not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? You could just see this befuddlement in Jesus' voice. This horrible, your life has been completely changed. Your, your most greatest prayer, you've been crying out to God for years, and God sent me, and you're healed. What, what are you doing? Where are you? One, one came back. So my question for each and every one of us today is, are we the one? Are you the one? Are you the one to return to God? Thanks and praise for the blessings that he's given to you. Are you the one that's going to stop at the beginning of your day just for a minute to say, thank you, God, for this life and this brand new day that I get to live? Are you going to be the one to stop and just worship God for a few minutes, the creator and sustainer of the universe? Are you going to be the one to remember every single day how incredibly blessed you are to just give praise and honor and worship and glory to the God who sent his son to do something for you that you could have never done for yourself, to take away your sinful wretchedness and to give you a new heart, to give you a new life, to give you eternal life with God, with your family and friends forever and ever in heaven. I mean, that's the greatest gift ever. But not even just with God. Even with the people who've impacted your life. Are you the one who's going to take that time to just sit down and write a thank you note? to Someone who is very meaningful to you. Someone who's impacted your life like that. Are you the one to stop and just say thank you to a coach? Or a teacher? Or, I don't know, a pastor or a Sunday school teacher? A neighbor? Are you the one because the odds are against us? Nine out of ten don't. So I want to talk about an ungrateful mindset first. And maybe you, uh, like me, I say, well, I'm not ungrateful. I'm actually a very grateful person. And I did. I thought that pretty highly of myself as far as being full of gratitude. But I'll say in a couple of weeks preparing this message and kind of examining my heart through the process, I realized I am way more ungrateful than I ever thought of. I'm filled with ingratitude. You know, just in the last couple of weeks, we, we closed on a house and we moved. And I don't know if you've ever been through the mortgage process before, but it's gotten worse since 2006 or 8, whatever. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. I was so fed up. I was so disgusted and frustrated. And then we moved. I don't know if you've ever moved before. You know how complicated that is? Utilities get turned on. The movers don't show up on time. The pod didn't get delivered. The, where's my stuff? Incredibly, I can be an incredibly ungrateful person. You say, hey, you're a pastor. Yeah, well, I'm a person. I can be very discontent. I'm working on that. So let's talk about two types of ungrateful mindsets. And Jesus told a parable. It's called uh, the prodigal son. So you're probably familiar. It's one of the most famous parables. Father had two sons. The younger one said, I want it now. That's the first type of ungrateful mindset. Just kind of like what I went through with, with moving and stuff. I want this now. I want it done. Now, now, now. 
get this paperwork done. Get these people here now. Get me hooked up to cable or at least internet. Now! You can't live without internet today. Um, so the son, he said, hey, I want my inheritance now. He takes it all. He goes and squanders it on a very, very party lifestyle. And I see so many people today who want it now. They want everything now. I see people in their 20s, like I'm 28 years old, and I want to live in the same house that my parents have. Maybe you didn't see the house or the cockroach apartment your parents started in, right? I want to drive the same car that my parents drive. I want to take the same vacations that my parents take. I want it now. Now, there's something. This is very archaic. So many of you, many of you online, maybe you haven't heard this before, but it was my grandparents their generation and older, they did something, they had this strange philosophy, really. Um, and you're not going to understand it, so I'm going to try to say it as simply as I can. But uh, if they wanted, say, whatever, a new purse, new car, whatever they wanted, if they wanted it, they would save their money. They would do something, it's called they would Wait. Pastor, what does wait mean? I don't, what are you talking about? I know it's insane, right? I get it. I know. But they would. They didn't have this entitlement mindset that I have to have it now. It was, no, okay. I want something. I'll save up for it. I'll work for it. I'll wait for it. I'll wait for God's good timing. The other kind of ungrateful mindset, though, is, is that I deserve more. And in the prodigal son story... That's the older brother. So the young son, he goes out, he squanders everything. He wakes up one day, he says, well, that was stupid. Now I don't have anything. What am I going to do? He goes, I'll go back to my dad and I'll apologize and I'll beg. Please just let me work as one of your hired hands. So he comes back home. But his father, who, get this, represents our heavenly father. He doesn't just say, yeah, okay, you can come and you know, work in my, in my land. He welcomes him back as his son. He runs out to greet him with open arms. He hugs him, and he throws a party. The son, he thought, could have been dead. He knew he was lost. He's found. He's alive. And he says, bring a ring. Bring a robe. Give it to my son. Kill the calf. Hey, steak for everybody. We're going to have a party. My son's back. And the older brother, though, he's having a pity party for himself. He's outside going, I never ran away. I always followed the rules. I was working the farm all these years. I deserve that and more. I hear that today too. Goodness gracious. I talked to so many people. Uh, maybe older generation, you don't, you don't hear this as much as I do when I'm working with different generations, but I'm just, I, I know I hear, I deserve a better paying job. If I don't have a better paying job, there's no point in even working. It's like, I deserve, I deserve a new car. I deserve, that's my favorite. I hear on the radio all the time. I deserve a new car. I do. Wow, I didn't know that. Will they give it to me? I just go down there, they give it to me? I don't think that's what they mean. But it's so ingrained in our society. I want it now, and I deserve it. Well, what I would like to do is just take a moment, another moment of confession. 
and just ask God to examine our hearts and just expose any ungratefulness that might be in our hearts. There's different kinds of ungratefulness. There's material and financial ungratefulness. And you may say, uh, I don't like you know, my house. I don't have the right countertops in my house. Uh, could be a car. You know, I, I actually have to plug my iPhone into my car to listen to the radio. It doesn't have the Bluetooth. This is, what is this? I can't be happy like this. Or I've done this. Maybe you've done this. I've walked into my closet, and that's another thing, right? It's actually its own little room, right? I walk into my closet, and I look at all the clothes hanging there, and I say, if you know this, you can finish it. Oh, man, I don't have anything to wear. I don't have anything to wear. Now, what's really funny about that is who picked out all those clothes? Me! <laughs> what I'm doing, I'm saying, I don't like any of this stuff. It's crazy. I have been to places where people can literally say, I don't have anything to wear. Material, financial, uh, if that's you, if, if you feel that, just confess it. Own it. Say, God, yeah, this is something I struggle with. Here's another kind of ungratefulness. God, expose any relational ungratefulness I have. Maybe it's, it's your parents. Hey, my parents are always in my business. They're always, I'm an adult now, and they're still telling me what to do. Or it could be your husband. My husband, I wish he worked harder. I wish he was a spiritual leader. I wish he made more money. I wish he knew how to fix things around the house, whatever it is. Your wife, I wish my wife were more fun. I wish she were more romantically involved. I wish she cooked more. I wish she had a better paying job, whatever it is. Relational ungratefulness. Confess it. Own it. That's me. Because when we confess our sins, he is, what, faithful to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, uh, we want to talk about how do we move from a spirit of entitlement to a spirit of gratitude. We'll call it an attitude of gratitude. How do we cultivate an attitude of gratitude? This is it. It's a one-point sermon today. Yay! You can clap. One point. This is all you have to know. To cultivate an attitude of gratitude, we are going to decide to turn blessings into praise. Every blessing, this is a verse from a song, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. I'm not going to sing it for you because you wouldn't praise God if you heard me singing it. But every blessing we're going to turn into praise because... Every blessing I don't turn back to praise turns into pride. I deserve that. I had that coming to me. Well, that's supposed to be that way. I was supposed to not get sick today. <laughs> I was supposed to get a good parking spot. The cable guy was supposed to show up in this four-hour window. Every, whatever. Every blessing that we don't turn back into praise, that we don't give God the credit for, becomes prideful, becomes entitlement. I deserve it. I had this coming to me. Paul put it this way in Philippians. He said, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. That means whatever the circumstance, whether I have my health or I don't, whether I've got a lot of money or I don't, 
Whether I love my job or I don't. Whether I'm in a great relationship or I'm not. Whether I've got a lot of hair or I don't. Okay? Whatever it is. That's a joke. The last one. Never mind. People of the first service laughed really good at that one, but just making sure you're awake. Whatever circumstance, Paul says, I have learned. Think about it. It's a learned behavior. It's a learned perspective. It's a learned ad. By nature, we are ungrateful. By nature, we are sinners. By the Spirit of God, we can train ourselves, our minds, our hearts, our spirits, and our attitude. And Paul says, uh, the next verse there says, the secret of being content. What is that? I want to know the secret. What's the secret of being content? It's the next verse. It's verse 13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It's the secret of being content, being patient, being grateful. It's knowing that whatever circumstance I find myself in, I have God. Christ is in me, and in him I can do all things. Whatever God wants me to do, I'm going to be able to do it. He's going to give me everything I need to do everything he calls me to do when he wants me to do it. That's the secret to being content. And it all starts, again, learning this attitude, perspective. It's so important. We think we deserve this and deserve that. You know what? Uh, The old Lutheran Catholic uh, confession of sins, we, we would pray, I deserve your present and eternal, anybody know what? Punishment. That's what I really deserve, God. I'm materially ungrateful. I'm relationally ungrateful. I'm so ungrateful. I take so many things for granted that what I really deserve is nothing. But praise God, right? We have so many blessings. And so Proverbs, this is a great verse about attitude. This is a Uh, modern translation, like the message or New Living Translation. Proverbs 15, he says, when a man is gloomy, everything seems to go wrong. Amen? Mm -hmm. When he is cheerful, everything seems right. It's attitude. Better a little with reverence for God. Better just have what God gives you, be content with it, and have that relationship with God. Than it is to have all the things that you think you want and need but all the trouble that comes with it. But it's all about the attitude. We've got to train. We've got to learn this new perspective. So instead of saying, oh, my car's five years old. I can't believe I don't, it won't drive itself. How about this attitude? Instead, wow, thank you, God, that I have a car. That I'm one, only 5% of the people in the world who own a car. So saying, oh, my house is so messy. Why is this place always so trashed? Say, oh, God, thank you for my family, my friends that get to come in and enjoy and have fellowship in this home. Or, my house, this is broken. I had to pay so much money for the plumber. I can't believe how much that plumber charged. How about this? Thank you, God, that I have a toilet, that I have running water in my house. I don't have can't stand my job. My boss is terrible. No. Thank you, God, that when there are so many people out there looking for a job, I have a job. Attitude. Attitude. 
When you're gloomy, yeah, everything seems to go wrong. When you're cheerful, you're grateful, everything seems right. It's not just with material things, right? It's all of the blessings that God gives to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And I just want to pray right now as we close this part. Loving Heavenly Father, we ask that you would forgive us for being ungrateful. Uh, we pray that you would have mercy on our entitlement mentality. We thank you for sending your son to do what we could never do for ourselves. We thank you for forgiving us all of our sins. We thank you for transforming us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would help us to see those who are truly in need and lacking and want. And not just so that we'll be grateful for all that we have, uh, but so that we'll be grateful for who you are. And that we'll never, ever take any of your blessings for granted. We'll turn every single one back into praise. We fall down at your feet like that one healed leper and praise you and thank you for each and every blessing. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.